who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Frap How, where your hosts Auden Rags. This week, we get the honor of talking to Ebony. Um, she is a black bi woman who's also a nurse, and we talk to her about her experiences just throughout her life. Um, we hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Um, Ebony is such a delight and has a lot of really interesting stories, and most of all, a lot of compassion for fellow humans. Okay, so we're going to get started. Okay. Okay. And we always start with the easiest, slowest pitch. Tell us about yourself. So my name is Ebony. I'm 40 years old. I've been married almost 20 years. And I have two children, um, one living. And my daughter's 16. I just graduated nursing school. And I'm getting ready to take the NCLEX the end of the month, and I work at a hospital. That was pretty I'm an good advocate. intro. Uh, that's really exciting. My um, One of my sisters just finished her nursing degree in the, I guess, last year, this year, last spring, um, and it was like a wild ride. Like, I had no idea. I have a newfound respect for nurses. At first, I used to be like, you're just the nurse, you're not the doctor, but now... Having gone through this entire process doesn't even compare. I have such a respect. No, nurses know what's up. My mom was a nurse practitioner. She was like, knew the most yeah, out of I anybody. I would rather have a nurse practitioner than a doctor any day. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and my sister is actually uh, in pediatrics. And so I get the oh, cutest nice. stories. Yeah, I actually have dreams of being in the NICU. That's where my heart is because that's where my children were. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son passed in the NICU and my daughter was in the NICU for a month. So I was constantly in the NICU. They actually knew me by name. That's a very interesting because I hadn't thought about that. But my sister, who's a nurse, she was in NICU. She was born six weeks early, I think. Um, she, you know, tiny itty bitty thing. And that makes a lot of sense now why she wants to do pediatrics. Yes. And I think, um, for me, it's about being there for other people, like to experience loss and to experience the stress and trauma of having a NICU baby. You can't really understand it if you've never been through it. So, um, that's the main reason why I wanted to be there. That's great. And so do you have to pass this nursing test in order to get your license? 
Yes, Ugh, it is my license. I mean, that sucks because you've gone through all this schooling. You know, you would figure you. I mean, I understand why it's there, but it's like you've done all the schooling and all the other stuff, and like now you have to take this test to get the license. That's like, and that's the thing. It's like everything is riding yeah. on this. I know how much you've been studying for this, and I know that nursing really does mean a lot to you. Um, now, you shared with me that you do maybe have some stories about being a nurse with some questionable patients. I mean, obviously, we don't want to divulge. We don't want to break HIPAA, but like never. These never are stories that are pertaining to something that I think is very important. Of course. So um, the first thing I'll say is that it's definitely interesting being in this, you know, position dealing with the older population particularly, and some younger population where they don't necessarily share your views. But you have to, and you, it's your duty to take care of them, regardless of how they treat you, what they say, what they do. And the most thing that the, the thing that happens often is you get mistaken. Now, I have been in nursing for a very long time. I've worked my way up. I started as a CNA, an HHA, uh, an aide. I did everything except nursing. So I don't think that there's anything less of being an aide. But oftentimes when you go in and you are the nurse, you are presumed to be the aide. So people, when you answer like a call bell, you'll see a couple of us, I belong to a couple of groups and they'll say, um, when you answer like a call bell or something, they're like, oh, can you get me something? Um, can, I, can you tell the nurse to come here? Well, I am the nurse. And oftentimes you'll get servitude requests that something someone else can do, which I don't have a problem doing anything I can do to help a patient. But um, that, that it does make you feel a kind of a way like you, they don't necessarily some some people don't necessarily respect or respond to you appropriately, regardless of if they know that you're the nurse or not, actually. Sometimes they don't even, they do know and they still won't. You know, I also had one time I went down to the city with a friend and this is me not even in the capacity of, of nursing, but as a friend. And I was wheeling my friend around. He was very sick and I was wheeling him in. And when I got in there, the nurse said to me, oh, are you his aide? And he got very upset and very offended because he was like my best friend. Uh, he since passed, but he said, no, she's my friend. She's, she's a family friend. But initially, the first thing that has happened is people automatically assume that I'm an aide, which is kind of frustrating when you study and you work so hard. But, you know, it's what you got to deal with. Um, I've also had patients say things that were interesting. When I worked in a nursing home, there were several patients who I think they, I don't think they did it intentionally per se, but they would drop the N word like it was nothing to me. Like, I, I'm like, so, you know, I got to change you. And they're like, yeah, you want to know something? I have inward babies in my belly and they would say just weird, crazy things about not necessarily, you know, committing violent acts against, you know, black people, but they would just make interesting comments and they would have no problem flaring wow. off the inward. And you have to just understand that, that they're in a part of, it's like not quite a psychosis that, but they're not, I don't think they truly realize what they're saying. Or maybe they just don't care. I don't know. But I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. So it does make um, your job difficult. I've also had patients say they don't want a, a black nurse. They don't want a black aide. And so then then you're stuck where you they don't want you in a kind of way. Now, like, is there ever a time where you felt unsafe? So you actually said, I'm not going to take this patient? Like, is that an option? That is is definitely if i felt unsafe i certainly could okay i mean you could go to your charge nurse and surely they probably i mean it would all depend though if the ratios are right and if mm -hmm. they had somebody to you know so it would all depend but more than likely if you feel unsafe 
then you can respect, you know, request a change of a person, you know, a patient. Right. Man, that has to just, that just has to like grate you down though over time because you, I know you personally and I know how hard you've worked, you know, and I also know that you are, you're, you're just an amazing, sweet human being that cares so much. And then just to walk into these patients' rooms to basically just be invalidated, you know, that has to really just over time grate you down. You would think, but, and it does, it does sometimes, it really does hurt. And I, you know, it's frustrating, but it happens so much throughout my life outside of that, that it's kind of like, it's one of those things where you're just like, okay, I'm just going to discount everything you have to say off. I know you're ignorant. So just keep it moving because it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. So like, um, it's not worth it. And most times I can get over that. And if I can't, then I need to take a break. I need to go to the bathroom, get a cup of ice, and then, you know, come back. You know, we still have to remain professional, even if somebody's yelling in our face. You know, even if it's not race related, no matter what it is, we have to do our job. And my job is to make sure that you're safe, that you're healthy, and that you're getting better on your treatment plan. You know, I'm just... As you were saying about how it's your job to make sure your patients are safe and it's your job to make sure that they stay healthy, I, I'm i just kind of like drawing parallels to a different occupation where they are supposed to keep people safe and are supposed to protect people, but instead they do the exact opposite. And it's like, well, if you can do your job facing, facing you know, this racism and these words and these feelings, you know, maybe all day, every day, depending on, you know, the time and the week and the month. Um, other people can do their jobs too. And, you know, also do them correctly without harming people. You know, I think, I think we do owe a lot to nurses. And I think that we really should be looking to them on how to handle a lot of de-escalation and a lot of dangerous situations where they do have to keep people safe, though. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And social workers, like, therapeutic communication is key with de-escalation. And the thing I, I believe, the reason that we're having the situation that we're having is because they can. It's much easier and much faster to win a fight by punching somebody in the eye than it is to try to reason and talk with someone and de-escalate them and try to have therapeutic communication with someone, try to yeah, understand. I think it's also like not getting at the root of the problem because who is the root of the problem? Right. Yeah. That, that I agree with that. And I think that because they can and have, and they have systems in place that allow them to do that without penalty, then what's, what's the point? Even if, you know, there have been, you know, some people who have been disciplined and moved to another departments and then they do it again. So if you don't have any penalty, then why would you not do something that's easy so you can just go home? Like, no biggie. And maybe you even feel, a, maybe you are an aggressive person. Maybe, you, maybe you're angry and maybe you want to take it out. And you know what? Just this one person talking to you any kind of way and you feel like you can do it. I, I don't know. It is just, it's just making me think of the, um, the autistic man, um, who was in South Florida, I think a few years ago, um, who was confronted with the police in a very violent way. Um, and his aide was with him. Um, and the aide tried to de-escalate the situation, but obviously the autistic man got very overwhelmed and he is nonverbal mostly and was having a really hard time like trying to process you know what was going on and then also like express himself and the police like beat him very badly to into submission versus like this aide that was there was like trying to explain to him them like you know like he's autistic he i have to just talk to him things will be fine like he's not doing anything and I just, I mean, it's 
Like, I mean, obviously, this applies, like, across the board. It's, like, you need de-escalation. You have to, like, care about someone and respect them as a human. <laughs> you know, like, start there. And then, like, show compassion. And that has, like, been complete, like you said, like, completely overwritten because it's much easier to assert power and dominance and, like, stomp something out. Exactly. I mean, I also recall, I believe, wasn't the age shot? If it wasn't I, that one, I think there there was a different situation where okay there yep. was there was a nonverbal autistic man plus an aide, but the aide was black, I believe, and the the autistic man was a person of color, He's Hispanic. Um, yeah, and so the autistic man was sitting on the ground, I think, like playing yes, with yes, a, that's the one. Uh, I think a truck or something like that, and the the aide laid on the ground with his hands like against the ground yeah. or up in the air. I can't remember, but his hands were visible saying like, please don't hurt him. Please don't hurt yeah. him. And then they shot the aid instead. Um, but all of this is to say that like, there are de-escalation tactics that get taught to medical workers that work very well. And I mean, I used to volunteer in a hospital and I remember having to, like, I used to do the transport. I used to transport all sorts of patients to their next destination, whether it was like radiology or whatever. And every now and then we did have a patient that was a little bit more violent. And, you know, I was a, I was a minor. So I had to walk with a couple of nurses who would help deescalate and talk them down. You know, like there, there are options, you know, not everybody who's in the hospital is going to be passive. <laughs> no, people aren't happy. <laughs> people are not typically happy when they're not feeling at their best. Right. And that's something you go in with the understanding that they're not happy. And you try, and I try. You know, I am not a nurse yet. I'm still a phleb. But as a phlebotomist, that's what I do. I try my best to go in there. They already don't like when I come in because they know what's going to happen. Because you're going to stick and them. Exactly. And I try to make them have the best day that I can make at that moment. That's it. And and we know that. And unfortunately, I think there is there has been a environment and a culture in in policing that in some ways they they I don't want to say they in, not enjoy, but that is acceptable to to do to be aggressive to be violent towards people they don't like it's almost encouraged yeah that's the word i was looking for and i think yeah. it goes even like deeper than that like not even just people they don't like but it's like the biases that they don't even know that they might hold like it's a subconscious thing things that they were just taught like I ideas that have been passed down when they're in training or I've seen a lot of issues around respect like if they feel like you're disrespecting them that is a huge issue and it's like again it's like a power and control struggle constantly and so if they feel like that power has been taken away from them they use the tools that they've been given but the tools that they've been given are like and, aggression and it's, it's also I also know from personal experience that it's also, it's not just that. I mean, if it was just, you know, violence against people of color, violence against black women, violence against any citizen, then that's one thing. But there's actually a lot more to it. Like, I mean, the experiences, I don't know if, how many I shared with you, Chelsea, but, oh, I didn't know if we were using real names. No, you're okay. fine. You're fine. Um. The experience, one of the first experience, and so uh, I'm sorry, I just want to say that I know that sometimes they do know their biases and they intentionally do things to, to try to get a reaction in order to then inflict violence. So one, one of my earliest situations that I had with the police, first of all, I've never like had any, never even skipped school I was like the nerd of all nerds. I know you seem like a like, very sweet baby angel. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you cross me, we're gonna have a problem. But I mean, overall, I I care about everybody. If you didn't have a friend, I would be your friend. That's just how I am. So, um, I was taking my friends to, and it's interesting. He was my ex boyfriend, but I was taking them to go see some girls. 
So there was three black men in my car and myself. I'm 17, 18 years old. And uh, I remember when I worked at Wawa, I used to know one cop. And he always told me, if you go into this town, just try to get through this town as quickly as possible because they're going to be following you. And the chances are, if they find any reason, they'll stop you. I mean, it was kind, it's a known thing in certain areas that this happens. So one day, like I said, I was taking my friends, knowing that, so I automatically set my speed right at speed, not even five miles over, right at speed limit, and I missed the turn. So I was coming down the street, I pulled into a driveway, I backed out like a K-turn, and I crossed over a four-way stop and a police officer came. So I was so confused. I was like, um, I, it, I didn't run it. I stopped like a total stop. Like I followed all the rules. Like, why am I being pulled over? So as he's coming up to me to talk in the back of my rear mirror, you could see that another cop was coming and he stopped on the other side perpendicular to our road. Cause it's a four way stop. And then another cop car came. All there was four cop cars and each of them were on different roads of the four-way section. I was so nervous, I couldn't find I forget what he asked me for, but I couldn't find it. So he made all of us get out. All of us put our hands on each car individually. There was like I said four guys. Um and he searched my car. Now, I did not know anything about, you know, what's legal, what's right, you know. And it honestly, in that moment, as, as we've seen in the past, it doesn't matter. Whatever they tell you to do is what you need to do to be safe. So he searched my car. I was never given a ticket. He, he questioned each of the boys. And then at the end, I saw that it could, um, I was nervous, but I remembered that the cop who used to come into the store I worked in, and he used to, he, he loved me. He used to come in every day and call me sunshine. Even if he didn't want coffee, he came in just to see me. So I said, I said his name. I said, he's going to be so, um, he's going to pick on me the next time he sees me because he told me, you know, and, but because I said his name, the guy came over to me and he was like, Hey, do you know so-and-so? And I said, yes, I know him, you know, for a past year. And he's like, hold on. Meanwhile, we're all in pause on a different cop car spread out, just waiting. He calls the guy and he comes, he makes him come to the scene. And it's at that moment that I was like, cause he came right over. He was like, Hey, what you doing? He's like, I told you, you know, not to speed or whatever it was, it, but he, he lightened the tension that was there. And he just, and just him being there, it was like, ah, all right, guys, go have a good time. Just don't speed. And I was just like, after all of this, but you know, we got in our car, went our way, was a little shaken up. But we went on our way. No, I'm really glad that you said that because I think in our area, it's like super common to see like in what you know is like a white suburb, more wealthy. I know that I've seen it several times that whenever there is, I, it makes me really like really upset like thinking about it. But I've seen so many like black teenagers being pulled over and there are like four, six cop cars and you're like, why? That's like all the cop cars of this town. It almost just seems excessive, though. Because no, like, it's absolutely. You, it, I mean, but like it's it's more than excessive. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Because for no traffic stop, do you really need to come out of your car with you know the bulletproof vest and the guns and the batons and all that stuff? And like, you can say whatever the hell you want about them being safe, but at the end of the day, most drivers especially in New Jersey, are unarmed. Like, that's just the case of it. And, like, if it's just going to be a routine traffic stop of somebody speeding or something so minor, you don't need to show up with that much force. But what your your story is, it demonstrates how much more force they show up with versus, like, if I get pulled over, you know, yeah, and not even having any reason to really pull me over. Like, he couldn't give me a ticket. And I mean, as I recall my childhood, I know for a fact that there were certain places 
that your friends would tell you, listen, whatever you do, do not get pulled over. If you get pulled over in this town on this road, you are going to get beat up. It's, it's something that they whisper to you and you know, and nobody else knows because you don't see it. And this is before cell phones and I'm not trying to date my, you know, age myself, but I did tell it already, but this is before all of those things. So there was nothing, there was nothing. This is not really anything new. And, and that's, that's the thing that hurts me. I'm very happy to be honest. My response to everything that's going on now is because it's like someone saying that they're a superwoman and they believe they're a superwoman and you can't tell them they're not superwoman. And they say everywhere they go, I'm superwoman. And everybody just like, okay. And then one day you have to act in some way and people say, she's superwoman. And you're like, I've been trying to tell you I was superwoman this whole time. There is such a relief that comes when somebody can recognize something that, that has been denied for so long, has been explained away, has been denied, has been completely taken and turned and switched into something else. And that's why I'm so vocal now. I mean, it was pretty... I mean, I've gone through phases where it's like, do I really want to put this picture as my profile pic? Because there's been studies. Well, my name is Ebony. So therefore, oh my gosh. I mean, and these things are real and people don't, either they don't know, they don't care, or they are doing it. So it's nice to see that people are seeing that some of this stuff is, it didn't go anywhere. You know, no more the feel good. Oh, we get along, you know, Mm-mm. you know, even Michael, as much as, you know, everybody wants to have their own thing. We are the world, blah, blah, blah. Even he said, you know, all I want to say is they don't really care about us. And, and it's not that I don't think people don't care. I think a lot of people don't know or didn't have it in an upfront to see it so blatantly as we've seen it. But it, it, it has been throughout my life. I have seen a lot of things, unfortunately, that were not positive. Yeah. Well, I think the pandemic, good, bad, there's, there are, I think there is like one positive thing that has come out of it. If, if we were to glean one positive, it would be the fact that people are home and they're forced to pay attention because they don't have sports. They don't have things to distract them. They're kind of forced to pay a lot more attention now, which is why I think people are starting to tune in more and they're t- starting to come into this conversation more um, because where are you going? Everything's shut down. You know, you're kind of forced to sit in your discomfort of like, well, first of all, you're not social distancing and you're causing the second wave. But also, like, you are a part of what's happening, whether you know it or not. And we all have to take the step back to talk about this. And examine ourselves. Because I I find in speaking to a lot of people, some people who I know, who know me and love me. But some of the things that they say sometimes have you just, I think people don't realize that when you say or have a thought or a belief about something that you, you can't discount it off and say, oh, well, you're different. You know, it, and it really forced, I think, a lot of people to self-reflect and examine, is this really okay? Is it acceptable that I feel this way and why? And you're surely going to have people who say, oh, it's okay. And I'm going to defend it. I mean, it is very difficult for someone to tell you that you did something wrong. And you be and accept that, you know what, maybe I did. No, I didn't. I mean, you have people who are going to be vehemently fighting against everything that you're saying. And I had that experience, Chelsea. You know, we went back and forth over ableism. And, and you know, I, I had to take a step back. And that's why... That gave me the strength to understand that some of these people are just fighting themselves. They just are fighting themselves. And like, 
my your initial reaction to something is not necessarily truly how you feel, but it's just a, your reaction. So my I was like, what do you mean? That's not what I did. Then I had to take a step back and say, well, did I? And then I had to do research to understand, like back up and say, hey, well, what is this? Am I? So people have to ask themselves, did me saying, because I have black friends, does that make me racist? Like people had to really sit down and say, is what I'm doing a cause or the effect? And, and am I contributing or helping? Right. And I think with that also, like you and I talked about it. And I think that's another part of it is that you and I, we talk very honestly and openly and we always have. For the amount of time that we've known each other, we've always been very honest and open. Um, so that means that like you didn't agree with the statement. And I just said, here's what I know. Here's what we can talk about. Because And if I don't know this, here are the articles. And if you have any questions, I will happily try to work through this with you, you know. And and I even said, I don't necessarily know if I agree or disagree. But I want to have this conversation. You know, and I think that's important because, like, I'm not going to agree to disagree. I'm not going to sacrifice my morals and my ethics and neither should you. But I think we need to have a conversation and a lot of people get turned off once you start having to defend your stance. And it's like, well, you need to defend your stance. And if you can't defend it adequately, you need to take this step back and modify it and see where the problems are and readdress it. Exactly. I mean, I think that's why I wrote you. You posted up something and I just said, you know, the thing about growth and about being a better human means being willing to accept other possibilities than what you currently believe. Because I mean, especially in situations when there's literally, there's factual evidence, there's been research done, there has been studies upon studies, scholarly articles. I mean, if you want to get down into, oh, uh, you know, non-news, that's one thing. But if there's scholarly articles, there's research studies, there are so many different things that have been done to to say that, no, this has definitely been happening. So for someone to stand up against all of that research, all of those times, and and you have to fight a long battle. You have to be very entrenched in yourself. But then that leaves you to be stagnant in your growth. I, I mean, I think that in itself is just like a really good point of, I mean, we all have the capability to be better, but we also all have the capability to be wrong. You know, you can be experiencing, you could be living with a disability and still have ableist attitudes towards other people. You know, we, we all internalize so much. We have to be willing to step out of that shell that we've built around ourselves. Otherwise, we're just not going to grow. I think that really applies to um, the LGBTQ community. I think that people assume because they are identify as a letter that they automatically um, are just like amazing humans and they know everything and everything's great. And I can tell you that some of the most racist and misogynist and sexist people, fatphobic, fatphobic people and ageist, classist fucking people are in the LGBTQ community. Just because you're one, <laughs> one marginalized identity does not make you a great person. That is a very interesting point. So, um, uh, many years ago now, I think it was 20 years ago. Jesus Christ. 20 something years ago, I came out and I, uh, I thought to myself that it would be a great idea to just go online and be a part of all this community. Like, you know, hey, they're saying we're born this way. I'm like, I'm I'm born black. I, I'm born this way. So, yay, I'm going to be a part of something and they're going to just love me. And I have never, I mean, to be honest, I, I mean, besides the, the, the racial tensions I've experienced throughout my life, I've never felt someone be so divisive, not someone, but a community be so divisive. I found myself for the first couple months, I would be fighting, fighting 
online every day. No, we do exist. I mean, we're going back and forth and we're doing all this typing and we're no, no, no. And they're like, yes, yes, yes. Well, we're better than you because you this and, and I don't want to talk to you and I can't date you. And I, and it just was amazing. And then let's not even, I mean, I was just completely shocked. I spent the first couple months fighting and then I saw that there, like I would go to clubs and I noticed that there was, it was like being in like a, a movie where you had the black people over there. You had the other people of the trans over here. They were all separated and they weren't really having a good time all together. And it was just very eye-opening to me because I thought to myself, how can you say, accept me for who I am because I'm born this way, but you can't accept them because you don't understand, you know, transsexualism and you don't accept them because, hey, they, they're just, you know, I'm not going to say the word, but they just dress in different clothing than how they present. I mean, how can you say that you want people to accept you? but you're not accepting of everyone else. And it really turned me off. And then, of course, being married, then you got even, then it became this whole, people have said things to me against the community, not knowing that I'm in the community. Oh, I know all about that. So it's just shocking. It's it's like constant battles. Yeah. I mean, just like, yeah, one as like, I'm also in like a passing relationship. And so people just like assume. And I'm like, well, bitch, I'm more queer than you think. And, <laughs> um, and then within the, the LGBTQ community, like I've never felt like enough of anything. And, you know, it's like, you just a phase, you have to pick a side or I'm like, someone's like weird wild fantasy to include in a threesome. And I'm like, I'm not really interested in most people. So definitely not that. (laughs) And I just like, and I just, people refuse to acknowledge that bi and pan people exist and that we can also, and if you're in a long-term relationship with someone, it can be monogamous or polyamorous, but it doesn't mean that you're less bi or pan or queer or whatever. Like, I just have so many feelings about it and everyone's so mean. I am so there. And and like I said, um, when I first started out on this journey, I had never, I had met, I started it out because I started researching married women who like women. It's like the classic Google. <laughs> and, um, and it started from there and I, I found communities there's a lot of married women. And so, but, but I, I am a woman of integrity and not that anybody else is or isn't, but a lot of what they would say in the, the forums was, well, we're just going to get a best friend and have a best friend. And then nobody's going to know that that's more than my best friend. And I just felt like I, I could never live like that. So um, I made a decision. I was like, I'm going to go on the regular boards. Okay, you guys, thanks for all your help. I realized this is where it is. I'm going to go on the boards. And I went on the boards and I got a lot of hate. And then I was always honest with everyone. So when I did go to the club, I was wearing my ring. And it was kind of like, you could tell there was like, there seemed to be like a cloud over my head where nobody would come over to me. I was like the plague or something. And I just, you know what? I did it. I used to go to the pride parade and, and, you know, walk by myself. How do you talk to your daughter about this stuff, about race and about um, being bi? How has that been going? <laughs> I hope Queenie doesn't <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> well, I, re- I, I took my very sweet time with, with telling Queen about being bi because... I didn't want her to be influenced by me. Did you did you finally tell her? Oh, I did. Recently, oh, okay. actually. Oh, okay. Because I mean, like, within a couple of weeks. Like, okay. Recently. Like, two months ago, you didn't tell her yet. I did not. I okay. know. We did have the conversation. She was going through something. And so I wanted her to know because she thought that... Um, that I wouldn't understand. And so what she was going through, I just wanted her to know, no, queen that's not true. This is the truth. And so I still had, I think like one or two pictures of the ex. So I I showed her, but yeah. Um, 
but I did recently just tell her and that was a conversation I wanted to wait until she was older because I didn't want to influence her I didn't want her to think either way oh it's great oh it's bad and then I didn't want to have the conversation about well the timeline says and how did this all happen and you know because you know if you did the math then you know I was married when I was 20 so it, you know I didn't want to have that kind of conversation with a child and I think that at this point in her life she can grasp the understanding and I just really wanted to relate to her so that went actually pretty smooth we we talk about it occasionally and you know have our little moments with it but it's nothing negative and that's always how I am you know so that conversation now the conversation about race in America has been extremely difficult and it's been difficult ironically not for the reason I thought it would be difficult it's difficult because she's further removed from the blatant history so what i believe happened is because you know i am generation z i'm the very oldest generation z i i think i think i have it right so jenny right you're gen y i'm gen y yeah queenie okay, so is I- gen z Okay, I yes, XYZ, yes, yes, yes. yes. I'm sorry. Yes, why? So I'm the oldest of that generation. And we actually, I feel, have one foot in old school and one foot in new school. It's a very interesting place to be in. It's like a dichotomy of like of everything, like anything. But so she doesn't really have the experience that I have where she could even relate to or understand. And whereas in times past, like I said, the stories get passed down. Don't go over here. Don't go do that. If you go in here and it it doesn't, it also doesn't help that she didn't grow up the way I grew up. Like my mother, before she became a chef, she was a cleaning lady and she cleaned homes, you know? So she doesn't get that. And so imagine you're cleaning a rich person's home. They're not really nice and they make it known. So um, that whole dynamic that I had, you know, been passed down to me was not passed down to her. So she doesn't, it's weird, but she, I don't want to say she denies, but she doesn't understand little things that I pick up on because I know she doesn't quite understand. And I have to just have patience and say that eventually she will see. Like I tried to show the studies Queen, I'm just going to tell you, I'm sorry I named you that because the studies show that they look at your name and then they bypass your app, you know, or when you see your friends all getting, you know, applications and they're getting these great jobs and you're not getting it. Don't think it has anything to do with you because it doesn't. So it's been very difficult to try to show somebody something that they can't see. And so it's kind of like I have to just and she actually accused me of being racist at one point. She really did. She because she did because she thought that I was too focused on race when I was trying to show her see this right here. Like I got a ticket for in a parking lot for imprudent speed. (laughs) I'm serious. This this was a couple years ago. Because I've been in the car with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got a ticket for imprudent speed in a parking lot here and i fought that for three years and but the thing is when you go to court and my daughter was young she you know it was the whole hassle to get there and no babysitting and so it wind up i just paid for it but um the thing is that she was young and she doesn't have those experiences so she doesn't know so it's been very challenging to try to show her something that she can't see it's it's almost as if she's someone who is not black trying to explain for instance it would be like explaining to someone a uh, white privilege who is white and they say that's not white privilege you, that doesn't exist it's it's kind of like that because she doesn't have that history and experiences and it's not something that you can teach somebody it's something you have to feel you have to be get angry about it like why are you following me around i've never stolen anything in my life And the one time I accidentally put something in my pocket, I drove home and realized it and drove back to the store and turned it in and said, I forgot to pay for this and paid for it. 
So why are you? And I mean, it's blatant, but she doesn't have that. She, you know what? She says, mom, they're just doing their job. Or, you know, she could just explain it away. She doesn't understand yet. So it's, it's different to, to have to speak to a, a generation who, who there's, there was a shift in the way everything was rolled out. It was very much in your face when I was a kid, but then they very slowly took it back and made it very under color and insidious. And so you really got to know it to see it. And she, not unfortunately, good for her for not having to see it, to internalize it, to make her feel less than or different. But, you know, it's been challenging. Well, I do think that she has internalized some of it based on our conversations with each other. You know, she she doesn't feel beautiful. She doesn't, you know, you know, there there and those are studies that are showing that like young black girls do not feel beautiful. They don't feel comfortable in their skin. They hate their hair. They wish that they had different eye color, that so on and so forth, you know, and they they did the doll study where most children um, be them white, black, Latina, Latino, they gravitate towards the white doll. I think I do think that she has internalized it and it's showing, but it's showing more innocently than maybe what you've experienced. So in my opinion with that, the difference between the two is representing, rep- having representation. So in my opinion, regarding that particular issue, it doesn't involve anyone else. Not treatment. It, it's just, I, I told you, I think before, you know, it's very difficult to live in a world where you can't see yourself, you know, in a, in a positive way. Like, uh, I, I don't remember this lady, but there was a lady who someone took a video of. I don't even know the whole story. She, I believe, was in a fire. And she said something to the effect of, ain't nobody got time for that. Like, and people were really laughing, but I think she, I didn't watch the video. I don't even know what it is, but you, you don't see yourself in a positive light. Not enough to be like, Hey, I I could, I could do this. I could be the doctor, you know, in that regard, just being black alone is a challenge. And so that is what she's dealing with, with not really liking her hair because it's not curly and it's not straight, you know, and, you know, I have this color skin and it's not lighter and it's not darker, you know. So that is a different dynamic than the racism, which is about the environment in your world, whereas this is about your perception of you. So it's a little bit different, but I I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think, you know, talking to you about it is you know i you have always been authentic i've always looked to you for friendship and for education and just chit-chatting because we have learned so much from each other over the years um but i think like talking to you about these things that like i wouldn't necessarily know is incredibly helpful you know and i think this is where a lot of like the things that are being talked about today with anti-racism and everything has to continue going back to what is what are black people saying what are they talking about how are they talking about themselves how are they talking about their experiences but i think also like on top of that that it's a good way to highlight how anti-racism and um black lives matter and all this like great stuff that's being highlighted right now is if all of that can come into fruition, it's going to help literally everyone because, you know, not only is Queenie 16 or not only is Queenie like a black girl, but she's 16 and being 16 really fucking sucks. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're being told what you need to look like and just like in a general way and or like what you should do to get someone to like you and like you have lots of hormones and yeah like don't know how to process your emotions and so like you know if we can start to address all these issues and inequalities within race then maybe we can start talking about like beauty standards and how fucked up they are and dismantling capitalism and like why we're like why teenage girls are getting ads for like all these crazy beauty tools and whatnot like no i i totally agree as a matter of fact recently she said to me mom I hate my body because all the other black girls have big butts and big breasts and I don't. And there's kind of a, 
an expectation based on some stereotype that's now making her feel bad and and all of her dance all of her dance uh, you know uh teachers have been saying oh my gosh she's like perfect for ballet if she was just a little bit taller but she's great uh, and uh you know but she can't see it it's hard to see that because in reality if all your friends are talking about you know black jokes so to speak then you're going to take that and feel a little insecure if you don't fit the stereotype so most certainly beauty standards are huge I mean, hair alone. I mean, why do you think there's there's been a few movies on black hair? And that's because it is important to have this discussion. It is not okay. Do not touch my hair. Like it's a and people do try to do it. It it would not it would be funny if it was just something that was like a joke. But it's real. The reason these movies I believe have come out is because it is real and people have, you know, no matter what kind of hairstyle I've had, it's it's interesting. It's kind of like it reminds me of when they took those. Um, I think it was, a, it was a, a black child. I think, I, and they put him in the zoo, the Bronx Zoo. I forget how many years ago it was. It was like in the early 1900s, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was like it's like being an experiment, like. So what happens if you stay in the sun, do you tan? It's weird questions and, and craziness that eventually, hopefully, we can all just realize that we're just people. We're just people. And that would be so great. It's almost just like seen as you're, you're exotic and you're different. You know, and I, I know that plagues a lot of Asian communities as well of just being exotic. And it's just like, no, come on, like. They're just people. They just have, you know, different type of skin. It's okay. Well, and I think that, you know, throughout history, it's, 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 ex if you, if you want to use the word exotic, it's exotic with the stain on it. It's, it's mm -hmm. not a positive exotic. It's not a desired exotic. Right. right. So it's, it's actually, it's a, I don't want to say a disdain, but. It's definitely not a positive thing. And othering. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what the, I, uh, we, I mean, I use a lot. Like, just a, you are, people are othered. Like, you're the other. You're not accepted into the group. Um, and I think then, like, if you use the word exotic, it sounds nice. Um, you're still othered. But it also is, like, this, like, weird sexualized othering. So you could mm -hmm. be good in some senses, but also still stereotyped. Yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic in general. Just all the different things that are that define you when you should just be able to define yourself. Yeah, and I mean, um, you know, we're going to continue doing what we've been constantly just working towards. But if you ever feel like you want to come back and share more stories, you are always more than welcome. I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. <laughs>